Welcome to the podcast for St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School Sherman Center that's in Random Lake, Wisconsin, north of Milwaukee and south of Sheboygan. We're pleased to share with you recent sermons and Bible classes from our congregation. We welcome you to join us for Divine Service Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We have Bible classes currently offered at 8.15 a.m. on Sunday. Join us to receive the Lord's Word and His gifts. All right, so we were talking the Lord's Supper last week. Just to recap that for your sake, uh, Jessica, that the, uh, you know, John's background coming from Roman Catholicism, uh, we, I think we came to the conclusion that uh, Rome... On the surface, it seems like it appears that we have a lot more in common, mm-hmm. okay? Because we both say it's Christ's body and blood. Yep. Um, we both say that it's given and shed for the forgiveness of sins because that's in the words, right? Yep. Um, and then I, I try to make an argument for you that it's a little duplicitous because they add to the words of Jesus all sorts of other teachings like, we didn't talk about this, but like offering a mass for the dead to like get time off of purgatory, that somehow offering, well, okay, so we have to back up, that in the Lord's Supper, I think we meant to get here, but we ran out of time. Yeah. That in the Lord's Supper, this is what Roman Catholics believe, you receive Christ's body and blood, well, maybe only his body, we talked about that a little bit, that Rome doesn't always give the, the wine. Yeah, they haven't since long before the time of Luther. Luther said that's absolutely abhorrent, everybody should receive both kinds, because that's Jesus' word. Um, and Rome said you absolutely can't receive both kinds at the Council of Trent in the late 16th century. And then, um, not until Vatican II, so in the mid-60s, did you start to see congregations shift the other way. Um, that was also, by the way, the introduction of little individual cups. Because now people are like, oh, we can't drink out of the same cup. They forgot that actually that's what we did, and it's not really a problem, and it doesn't hurt and harm you. And nope. It's, that's why you use pretty high alcohol content wine and silver and gold, you know, precious silver is antibacterial. It's just not a problem. And you wipe it. Because people th- are, I don't want to speak ill of anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I, it depends on the congregation. Different congregations introduced them at different times. The congregation in Indiana introduced it, um, during the AIDS epidemic, because they didn't know how it was transmitted. Yeah. So, I mean, God forbid you had like a homosexual who heard the gospel and was transmitting this, had this disease, which I'm, that's a little sarcasm, by the way, because um, they wouldn't have transmitted it through the cup, and they should be in church. They need to hear God's word, and they need to be forgiven and strengthened by his word. So that's kind of a silly argument. That's what people made. Um, in some places, it was actually racism. So it's the same idea, but it was white people with black people, or white people with Hispanic people, that they didn't want to share the same cup with them, which is sad, but you know, to hear that from Christians. But I mean, most of the slaveholders were at least on paper Christians. So how they got that in their head? I mean, we look at it now from the perspective of history and say, what was wrong with you? They actually had scriptures they used. I can't remember them. Um, so that's where it came from. And now, 
Uh, it's worth noting, because the, the bread is kind of actually similar to the individual cup, right? Because remember, they're stamped out, and they're, they're wafers, and they're already individual. They don't come from a common loaf. Um, Paul actually uses that language. We drink of one cup, and, and, uh, and we eat of one loaf. So um, you know that the early practice, they didn't have some machine that's stamping out individual wafers. Um, that they, they would break off pieces of, of a, large, a large loaf. And probably unleavened, like the Passover, um, because of the connection of the Lord's Supper to Passover. It's not the same thing, but there's, there's precedent. The Lord's Supper was instituted on the night of preparation for the Passover. So, anyway. Um, so that's, I think that's part of the reason, is that we already had these individual wafers and an individual cup. So. Uh, we want to teach two things at the same time, and that's where the practice gets a little challenging. Because we, on the one hand, we do want to teach, and I do this with the way I distribute the Lord's Supper, is that each person hears the blood of Christ shed for you, the body of Christ given for you, yeah, for you and everyone. It's for you, not you all, but you individually. But at the same time, we're all receiving the same Jesus. We're all being joined together in that sacrament too. So we actually talked about the word communion. And the word communion is not referring to the union with one another. It's the union of Christ's body and blood to the bread and wine. That that's joined together, um, but there is a sense, of course, that in receiving that we're joined together. Then, not a sense; it is. It's true. We're joined. We are the body of Christ through our baptism. We're already joined to Him, but receiving it's like, it's like, um, like the same blood pumps through all of our veins. That kind of idea. Right. It's expressing what's already true for us in our baptism. Um, so, really, being joined to one another happens in baptism. Being fed and nourished comes in. Supper individually, really. Um, but nothing is done uh, solo in the church. We have one baptism, we have one supper, we, we share all things in common. Right? There's no, that, and that's the, another problem with Rome is when they have like a private mass too, where you could pay a priest just to say the Lord's Supper, and actually, you don't even have to receive it, and it still benefits you in Rome. And the reason for that is that when they offer the Lord's Supper, they believe. You receive Christ's body and blood. Well, probably just body in most parishes, but maybe in some you receive the blood. But they, the priest, is offering before God the Father, the Son, as what they call uh, an undying sacrifice. Now, we talked about this last week. You can go back and listen if you need to, but basically what's happening is they're taking a simple gift from Jesus, a low whisper, as you heard it in the sermon, and then adding philosophy and reason and trying to dissect and figure it out and, and really like the mechanical or the economic how does this work, how does this transaction work, okay the father gives us Jesus and our sins are forgiven and our default position, this is Rome's mistake is then that you have to do something in response to that in order for it to either work or to actually I mean you have to say thanks, if you don't say thanks then it no longer benefits you, that kind of thing which we don't actually believe um that you do respond with praise and thanksgiving, um, but not because you have to, but because you're thankful <laughs> and you're joyful and having been forgiven, right? So um, that's, the, that's really, like I say, this is a little less obvious to somebody who has gone to church in Rome and they come to a Lutheran service and they're like, oh, you have, you have the Curia, you have the Gloria, you have the Creed, you have the August Day, you have the, the Sanctus, you, have, you can call them the same Latin names. They're in the same order. And 
and the words are very comparable. And some of your services, you even have some of the weird things that uh, that they do in Rome, like the prayer of Thanksgiving. And you're like, okay, which is a service for? I'm not a big fan, but I do it anyway. It's just it's just repetitive. They don't need to hear it every week, but whatever. Um, but then under the surface, what they actually mean by what they're doing can be two different things. So we talked about how they believe the bread and wine are changed into the body and blood of Christ. The bread and wine no longer remain. They only, it only looks like bread and wine. It isn't actually bread and wine anymore, which is another, it's using Aristotle and philosophy, Aristotle's philosophy to figure it out. So, I mean, uh, that's why we focused on John last week because that's his background and we just want to make dissuade any notion that you might have held on through the years that somehow like you earn salvation by going to the Lord's Supper it's rather it's a gift and it's given and it's there for you and that's and you're preparing to receive it in true faith that's yep. it that's it um, and actually you're not really preparing He's, you're being prepared it's being done to you that's why I'm teaching you right. Right. can you prepare yourself probably not Everything in the church really is external. It comes from outside you. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you have a timetable, by the way? I was going to ask you. No work? Okay. Good. All right. So uh, the reason I ask is that we wanted to do a double duty today because I'm kind of done. And I know it's just going to keep getting hot on Sunday. And, uh, and the last two chapters, um, I don't want to shortchange them because they get shortchanged every time we teach catechism. <laughs> so I'm going to do it too, again. But um, it's not that they're immaterial or unimportant. It begins on page 44, Daily Prayers. Uh, it's not that they're unimportant or anything like that, but um, um, it's kind of just who we are and what we do already. And then we allow, what, 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 what the Catechism is trying to do is illuminate why you do what you do so that you understand. And you can say, oh, that's the benefit of prayer, for example. That's the benefit of understanding my life according to the locations the Bible does it. Okay? So, let's start with prayer, actually. Almighty God, you have promised to hear the petitions of those who ask in your Son's name. Mercifully incline your ears to us who have now made our prayers and supplications to you, and grant that those things that we have faithfully asked according to your will we may receive to meet our need and bring glory to you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right. Um, you see the first line, this is really important. German uh, Lutheran pastor Wilhelm Lue. You know Wilhelm Lue? I'm saying it like I'm German. Um, Wilhelm Lue was, uh, he never came to the U.S. He was in Neuendelzau, Germany. Um, he is the one responsible for sending missionaries to Buffalo. Later became the Buffalo Synod. You heard the Buffalo Synod back in the day? The church, ELCA church historically was a Buffalo Synod church. Um, he also sent missionaries to mid-Michigan to evangelize the Chippewa and that Chippewa Indians. And those became the towns of uh, Frankenmuth, Frankenlust, Frankenhilf, and Franken... I mean, I did my vicarage there. That's why I know this. You know Frankenmuth. Yeah. Um, but Frankenmuth, Hilf, Lust, and... Uh, I forgot one. And then sent another group later on that's more north of mid-Michigan, more towards Saginaw Bay, so um, like Bay City is a Lea congregation. Lea, as they say today. And then uh, he also sent missionaries to, Africa, uh, to Iowa, I should say. So there's a lot of congregations um, of Iowa um, that also historically have their roots in that founding member. All these congregations ended up being 
some of them actually became founding members of the Missouri Synod. Frankenmuth would be one of them. All right. Yeah. So uh, that was Wilhelm Lue, and I have a picture of him in my office, although I haven't hung it up yet. He's really there's so many of these old Lutherans look really kind of awful, you know, ugly. I mean, I like this. I mean, this this I mean that's noble, virtuous. This is my relative, and I'm like, you know, the neck beard just doesn't look for me, right? So I've got another one here, another neck beard. It's not even even. I'm like, I don't know what's going on with that. I do like the you know the slightly molesty yep. mustache. I don't know what probably harsh. I should probably shouldn't say that. It's just a little. Was he? Yeah. <laughs> remember. He All right. Well, maybe his mustache face then. <laughs> and then, well, you know what happened here? From here, there's no more beards, right? Why? What happened to the beards? World War One. All right. So after this yeah. guy, World War One, they had to cut. They had to cut their beard to wear gas masks. Oh, yeah. So then the guys came back from service for the first war. Without beards, and the black wives were like, well, you like lost 20 years when you were in the war. Right? Because it's so yeah. much younger now. Yeah. And so it stuck as far as fashion goes. Do not have beard. Before that, men have beards. That's what you do. I mean, even a neck beard, you can't do it. Yeah. You know, with big land chops or something. Mm -hmm. Anyway, why did I bring up beards? I don't know. Oh, Leah. Leah's good looking, and most of the old pastors aren't very good looking. That had nothing to do with our lesson today, but it's kind of fun, I suppose. He said that, uh, and Luther also said um, that the catechism, Luther said the catechism is meant to be prayed. Leia said it's the only catechism that can be prayed. So it's actually meant um, for you to be part of your daily prayer. Huh. Um, now most people use the catechism for like a year or two of instruction when they're 7th, 8th grade. And then it's done. You put it on the shelf and you're like, you've, you've gone through it and you're done. Yeah. Um, that's not what Luther intended, and that's not what we do, uh, or what we ought to do. And I'm looking here. Do I have a prayer guide? Anybody have their bulletin? No. No. Did you, did you grab You didn't even need one, probably. Or did, you just returned it? Yeah. There's no point in returning them, by the way. Just keep it. You have a bulletin? You're supposed to keep it. You're supposed to keep the bulletin. That's why it's, it's for you. Take it home. No, we can't do anything with it. Take it home. No, we have service on Wednesday, but we always have too many, so it doesn't matter. Oh, we always have plenty. Don't return them. Well, All right, we'll put a sign up. But anyway, you know, um, daily. This is our daily. We get. I give you this daily prayer guide, and the only reason I do this is that I know. Okay, this is just inside baseball, but it'll be helpful for you to understand. I intuitively, the only things I know that I should do are the things that would benefit. I know would benefit me personally. Okay, so I. I mean, there are squeaky wheels. Sometimes people tell me this would be really helpful for me, and I'm like, I didn't know that would be helpful. Um, but actually, now that I now that you mention it, I think I would appreciate that too, right? So it doesn't mean I always know what would be helpful for me, but I do know that growing up, sitting to sit down and say prayers as a family was was hard, and it wasn't just time. It was also we didn't have a resource, right? We didn't have something. Um, to help guide our prayer. Because something like this, um, actually, we could have done in the, car, in the car on the way to school. We actually, for, most, or for half of my uh, grade school, I mean, we were making a 40-minute drive to and from school. I usually did memory work or you know, something like that. But um, if our memory work were actually on our prayer guide, we could actually just done, we could said prayers on the drive. Um, you know, obviously, whoever's driving has a harder time saying prayers, but 
we could have done the rest of it as a family in the car. Or at least some of the family, right? Yeah. Um, so obviously, as you heard in the sermon, it begins with your baptismal name in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a great way to start prayer. And then uh, a psalm for the week. Why the psalms? Because that's the prayer book of the church. Okay. I give you a memory verse. You remember? Did you have? Did you, did you ever go here? You never went here. Okay. No. But you went here. You have memory yeah. verses, right? Yeah. 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 And some of those you might even remember today, or at least if you heard them, you'd be like, it'd be very familiar yeah. to you, or you that's might like, even know the. That's like some of the psalms too. Yeah. All things work together for the good of. We love him and are called according to his purpose, right? You might have learned that, and because it's... Okay, so the memory is a weird thing, right? Memory is strange. The science, the science on memory now is getting kind of nuts. I mean, they're actually finding out all sorts of things they didn't know. Is that memory, your memory is very malleable. You can actually believe things happen that didn't happen at all. Um, but also, there are things in your memory that um, aren't easily retrieved, Right, so we call those like traumatic events, right? We might they're subconscious become and they're just buried. They're there, but they're buried. Right. So memory work can be like that too. And how do you how do you? I think of it kind of like um, a um, oh I don't know, like a crop, right? I mean maybe the memory work was like a seed and it was buried, um, mm-hmm. but you have to draw it out to the surface, right? By by watering it and finding so that it grows and that it flourishes and it's more obvious. Otherwise, it just stays as a seed and uh, doesn't really do much. So, yeah, so repet- repetition yeah. is the thing. Mrs. Bryson was my teacher yeah. in fourth grade. Yeah. And the music teacher mm-hmm. all the way through eighth grade. Yeah. And she taught us all these She did. She did. I'm very thankful um, for her, and I've told her this many times. I probably don't tell her enough. Um, that w- this congregation sings the way it sings and believes the way it believes because of the teachers that we had. I mean, I'm sure it was parents too. Thanks, Mike. I'm sure there were parents involved too, but those teachers, I mean, think about it. They, they exposed you. They taught you um, God's word and, and his word expressed in poetry and song five days a week if you were in the school. Um, that's, I think we kind of understate um, the influence that that can have on a child, right? Because it's not what we do over there in particular. We do a lot of things well. We do some things well enough. <laughs> but the one thing we do really well uh, is is to uh, deliver God's word daily, and that that that's with you the rest of your life. But if you, even if you're not in the school, again, okay, because this is what we use in the school. So you can do it at home. You can do it yourself. And there's no there's no. This is the other aspect with prayer. I mean, if you haven't started. Um, there's no harm in starting now. It's not like, well, it's not like the learning curve is is difficult. It's not hard, um, especially if you've been given some words. And uh, you don't have to preach extemporaneously. The weirdos that say that you have to only pray from the heart. Well, of course you pray from the heart if it's God's word, and that's the key thing with prayer. And it's in that lesson somewhere about prayer that um, that when we pray, as especially as Lutherans. Our emphasis is that we say to God what he has spoken to us. And that is the recipe, or that's the antidote for strong, confident prayer. Is that if you ask God of things that he's promised you, you can take it to the bank. If you ask him for a pony, not so sure it's going to happen. You know? Because he hasn't 
promised that to you. He's promised to take care of you. And if you say, I need a, I need a horse to get to work, also known as a car, uh, you know, and I'm having problems with that. He, that's, he loves to hear those kind of prayers. Um, he hasn't always promised to answer them in the way that you maybe thought or directly as you want. Um, but like if you prayed for forgiveness for the thing you've done or said or thought, that's a totally different kind of prayer. Why? Because he's promised you over and over and over to forgive your sins. Right? Yeah. And so when you ask for that, that doesn't mean that you're going to come into the prayer confident. Because <laughs> you're going to be like, probably like, can you really forgive this? I'm not so sure. I mean, I'm, I kind of feel bad about it. I actually don't even feel bad about it. But I know it was wrong. <laughs> you know, prayers can be kind of weird that way, right? We, all, we think that you're going to come and you're going to be you know, so grieving in sackcloth and ashes and sign of the cross on your forehead or something like Ash Wednesday. And then, you know, and that's not how always it goes. I mean, I don't think God minds you actually saying to him, I'm not even sure that I believe this word from you, you know, that, oh, I don't know, that slandering my neighbor is, is, is wrong, for example. That would be eighth commandment, is to dishonor your neighbor. Oh, to bear false witness, to speak ill of your neighbor, destroy their reputation. Right? So I, I think I read you this last week, maybe. Our Lord speaks and we listen. His word bestows what it says. This is from our previous hymnal. Mm-hmm. Faith that is born from what is heard acknowledges the gifts received with eager thankfulness and praise. Right? Music is drawn into this thankfulness and praise, enlarging and elevating the adoration of our gracious giver, God. But our Lord speaks and we listen. He bestows by his word what he says, and then faith that is born from what is heard then acknowledges the gifts received with eager thankfulness and praise. Right? So the faith, a faithful prayer is a prayer that said, um, according to God's word. How does this actually play out? Um, this would be a good... We can use this week's collect, which is on the back of these sheets, as an example. No, you don't. Okay, if you want. I'm going to grab a couple of them. Okay. All right. Uh, by the way, so while you're doing that, I'm going to talk about what a collect is. Yes. Okay, have we talked about collects before? I think we did when we did the divine service back in the day. Yeah. But the thing is, the collect, why do we pray in that form every week? Because we're teaching you how to pray, right? So when you hear the form of a collect, then that can help guide when you do want to pray, say from the heart, you have a very specific request. If you think of it in terms of how we pray in church, um, I think it helps uh, for faith because you, if you want your faith to be strengthened by your prayer, which you do, of course, then you want to ask in such a way that, that you're confident that he hears that prayer. So usually it begins with a, um, we might call it an invocation, um, but if you wanted to say it more simply, a name. Yeah. Right? So, oh God, oh Lord, oh, uh, we'll talk more about that in a minute. And then there's usually um, the basis of your prayer, of your petition, uh, of the petition. So, this may not seem immediately obvious in your petition, but you actually ask, you actually say first in a colic, why, why you can ask for what you're asking for, and then you ask for it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, well, I'll give you an example when she comes back to the sheets. And then what's the result? And then what's the, then there's a termination, um, we call it. It's just like a period. And the big termination word it is, amen. Let it be so. Right? Right. Yeah. Right. 
So this is this is the order of a collect. Okay. So I'm sure Jessica has one, and, and then you and okay, I'll tell you. you and your husband have one. I went through them, and the first, the ones people put down. Yeah. The blue sheets are all gone. Right, because they take those home. Yep. Yeah. But why turn in the other sheet? You can't yeah. use that either. I'm not going to print more blue sheets. All right, so on the back side of that sheet at the top, you see the Collect for Trinity 5. This was this morning. I sung it for you this morning. Um, you can sing or you can say prayers, it doesn't matter. But notice, oh Lord, that's the invocation, that's the name. Or actually, it's oh God. So that's not the best example. Sometimes the invocation is also going to be connected to the basis of the prayer. So say, for example, don't look at the blue one yet. If you if you're gonna pray for healing, yeah, right. with the result that your sickness go away. Right. Right. Well, what's the basis of that? Lord, you are the great physician. That's one of his names, right? You are the great physician and you went about healing many of sicknesses and death, right? Right. Grant me healing that I live. Yeah, not be sick in your name. Amen. Jesus Christ, Lord, Lord. Right. All right. So, so that's how a petition works. This one, let's see if we can break this one down. Or a collar. Okay. Oh God, the basis. Yep. You have prepared for those who love you good things that surpass all understanding. True? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, so again, the basis of your what you're going to ask for you, be it something that's revealing God's word that's true. What we ask, pour into our hearts such love towards you. We're asking for the result that we, loving you above all things, may obtain your promises, which exceed all that we can desire. See how the three parts, see how it works there? Mm-hmm. Oh God, you prepare for those who love you good things and surpass all understanding. So, pour into our hearts such love towards you, love towards God, that we, loving you above all things, may obtain your promises, which exceed all things that you can desire. Now this is not, uh, it's probably worth noting here, this is not, oh, then the termination, sorry, through Jesus Christ our Lord. By the way, why is it always through Jesus Christ our Lord? Okay, how do we know that God loves us, is hears our prayers, is a loving Father, because He gave His Son Jesus into death for us. Right? Yeah. If God had not sent his son into the world, we would not know that God loves us, that he cares for us, that he wants to. Right. We would only know him as kind of um, wishy-washy, fickle, sometimes he loves us, sometimes he doesn't. Because what we look to then for love. Clothing, shoes, food, drink, house, home, life. Oh, no, not that. Sports cars. <laughs> you know, we look for things to be really nice. And we say things are really nice, then we know God loves us. Things are not really nice, then we're not so sure. Right? You got it, you know gorgeous you know wife well then things are great right and if your wife's not so gorgeous then you know things are not so great don't answer that it was not any question careful what you say next that's right uh, by the way i did want to note here this is not um what what they say in latin quid pro quo you know that what is anybody know what quid pro quo is i can't say it do you know what that means what that refers to Quid pro quo. Might be plenty of pop today, that's wonderful. 
Nobody knows? It, quid pro quo, define. I'll ask Siri if you don't tell me, okay. Define quid pro quo. A favor or advantage granted or expected in return for something. What's that? This is not that. Okay? This is very important. This is why I brought it up. Thanks. A favor or advantage granted or expected in return for something. Because this is how people think of prayer. If I offer the right kind of prayer, God's going to give me what I'm asking for. Right? A favor granted by doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. Uh, the, the, the purpose of prayer is trust in God. Does that make sense? The reason you pray is because you don't believe that you deserve, will receive, whatever, the things that you ask for. So why does he say, why do we pray the Lord's Prayer? Because none of the things that we ask for do we actually believe we'll receive. In the flesh, again, I mean, listen to the sermon today. Right now, of course, the new man, that is Jesus, who dwells in you, says, I'm on, amen, amen. I know God will answer all the prayers. This is, um, you know, he provided for his son, he will provide for me who are in him, right? But, uh, but you have that kind of wrestling match, right? And the wrestling match isn't with God, the wrestling match is with yourself. Yeah, it's with yourself. So the reason for prayer is doubt. If you had no doubt, you would have no need to pray. If you trusted in God for everything, truly, then you wouldn't even ask because you know you just receive it. You believe you receive it even without your asking, which is what he says. But the Spirit, you know, you don't even know what to ask for, but the Spirit intercedes with groanings to be for words, right? And, he, and, and the Son, actually, we have one intercessor with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. There's one who intercedes. We don't even know what to pray for, but there's this economy, and it's kind of mysterious, I suppose, that the Father, and the, or excuse me, the Son and the Spirit intercede to the Father to say, here's what, here's what your child needs. Right? and what's good for them. So the reason for prayer is, as an answer, actually, it is the antidote to doubt. So what we're doing in this prayer is like, we don't, here's the thing, we don't believe that we'll obtain the Lord's promises. That, that right? And actually, we even say that, we, that the things that you've promised to give, we don't, they exceed even anything that we could desire. Your promises are more than even what we want. We don't even know what to ask for. <laughs> They're so good, Right? So, but we don't believe that, that he's going to give us what he's promised towards us. Um, and so we, a- we actually ask him to do what he's actually promised to do. Again, that's why that basis is based upon what he said in his word. Mm-hmm. So that for the sake of our faith, we're, con- we're basically praying to God what he's already said to us. That's why I read you Lutheran witness. Or Lutheran worship. That, that, you know. we, if we pray to him what he's already promised to us, then we're bold. We can be bold and confident. And our faith is actually strengthened by his word that we have prayed to him. Right? And he loves to hear your prayer. Again, your prayers don't have to be so perfect, though. I mean, you don't have to write like your um, Thomas Cramner back in the 16th century writing a prayer book. I mean, this college was written long before him, in Latin probably, and then he translated it into English for us. Um, I mean, most of these collects, by the way, on these Sundays, are 5th, 6th century prayers. Yeah, blows your mind, right? I mean, we've been praying, this, praying the same thing for 1,500, 1,600 years or longer. Well, the Lord's Prayer was given 2,000 years ago, and we're still praying that. Why? Because it's God's Word. Yeah, and he actually said, when you pray, pray like this. And, and he's also promised to hear that prayer. So it's good. All right. 
So let's see, anything in here in particular we should follow? Catechism. Uh, oh, daily prayers. All right, so I think maybe that's a narrow, most people have kind of a narrow focus of prayer in that they think of, I, okay, what we do here in church, whether it's a divine service or matins like this morning, it's prayer. Sorry to finish. I think we've talked about that. Hymns are prayers. They're just yes. sung prayers, right? Um, a sermon is a way of praying. Because if, if it's a faithful sermon, I'm actually preaching God's word to you. Right? And you're hearing it. Yeah. Uh, not quite exactly prayer. The liturgy is definitely prayer. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Not just our Father, but you know, uh, glory to God on high and peace on earth, goodwill among men. I mean, these are, these are prayers as much as they're songs of praise. Okay. Um, so that's prayer. Uh, but here in particular, we're talking about daily prayer. And uh, this is the scripture. I don't know. Did he give you give you a text to look at? You know, in the morning and the evening, we shout for joy. Psalm 65, 8. You see over on page 45. Um, yeah, and daily readings. Um, but Philippians 4. Let me see if I can pull that up quick. Oh, of course, you fell asleep. Always falls asleep. And I have it. Get, have a password to fall asleep so that I don't get any terrorists getting into all your private data about the congregation. We don't want anybody knowing your private data. Okay. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. Oh, how's that? Be anxious for nothing. Jesus will talk to you about this later this summer about the birds and the lilies and how they don't care for anything and they have everything they need. Oh, to be like the birds and the lilies. Well, you actually already are. Just don't believe it. Uh, but in everything, okay, be anxious for nothing. How? But in, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, which we heard this morning um, at the end of the sermon. A lot of sermons in that way, the peace of God. I don't do it every week, but I like to keep you on your toes. Um, but there's the, there's the antidote. Anxiety, worry, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow. Oh Lord, I lie within your care. You probably never sung that hymn, the last hymn. It's an easy one to sing, though. It's like a children's hymn almost. It's so easy. Um, but it's just beautiful the way it says it. You know, Whether I die or tomorrow, you're, I'm in your hands. I mean, that's what prayer is meant to do, is to, to say, into your hands, O oh Lord, I commit my spirit, as the psalm says. Um, whatever it is, it's causing me worry, anxiety, um, fear, um, even joy and thanksgiving, I'm going to give to you in thanksgiving or praise, or I'm going to give you my worry, or my hatred even, my anger. David does this in the Psalms. It, yeah, when we get to those Psalms, we don't use them usually that much in church, because they get people a little uptight, you know? They're like, um, like, oh Lord, you know, dash my enemy's children against the rocks. Well, that's pretty intense. But better to tell God that yeah. Then go dash your enemies' children's against the rocks. Say, if that's the right thing, you'll take care of it, Lord. Take it out of my heart and put it in your hands. Does that make sense? Yeah, especially with anger. That's why he says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. What does that mean? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, right? Let him be the one who's angry, right? Um, let me say this. Um, you know, reconcile your brother, if possible, or sister, or whatever, family, friend. 
um, before the sun goes down because um, you won't sleep well. And some people actually say, let me sleep on that. Actually, usually doesn't make things any better. You come back and you're actually even more like, I don't, I, it's almost like, I hate to say it, but almost like intuition and impulsive behavior is more authentic, maybe, sometimes. Um, although I think as a congregation, I, I'm encouraging no one to take rash and hasty action because um, it's not as thoughtful. And uh, with congregation life especially, it's just there's not enough people on the ground daily to be able to make quick decisions. Um, so, like, you know, we about ordered new internet service, but then thankfully before that happened, we determined what was wrong with the current one and how we can repair that yeah. and not have to go through the whole... Because right where I'm now is not under contract, and we have to go under contract, and we actually don't intend to keep either of them Mm-hmm. So we want to go to something yeah. else entirely, but we have to wait for the state. Anyway, so it's just like, so there's sometimes it's, it's probably, maybe that's still true, but that you should wait. Um, but prayer could actually guide that sort of conversation because you could just give it to God and say, I, I know people say like, show me a sign. Um, I don't think He's promised to show you signs and wonders. And actually, the signs and wonders are not even that good at interpreting, right? Mm-hmm. The stars of heaven and the moon and somehow the ancients thought those were signs that guided them to, to Christ's own birth and yet we look at the thing moving across the sky and we're like, oh, whatever. You know? Yeah. That's just planets. Like Doesn't mean anything. Right. Yeah, somehow they knew. So uh, We're not so good at those. Uh, better, though, to ask for wisdom, for guidance, for encouragement. And how does God offer wisdom, guidance, and encouragement? Does he do it by putting ideas in your head? Well, it could. Not in my experience, though. It's, you know, John says, hey, have you thought about this? And you're like, that's funny. I was just thinking about that. And you're like, oh, well, okay. I mean, is that a sign? Yeah, exactly. You're like, no. But it's like God works in his heart to say. And now you're hearing it. And it's, that's, I think that's the key. If you want to, if you want an answer for prayer, it's not internal. It's always going to be external. God comes from outside. He sends a prophet, he sends a preacher. That's how I ended up in seminary. I had a pastor saying in the pulpit, you know, serve God, love your neighbor. And I'm like, yeah, I really want to check out seminary. And he's like, this isn't what I said in the sermon. I'm like, I know, but I've been thinking about that. And what you said applied to that situation for me. So, you know, I'd like to check it out. And he's like, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, that, I mean, it's true. Well, I'm, I mean, in the pulpit, can I, I'm not going to tell everybody to go to seminary. No, it's not appropriate for everybody. <laughs> Right, but but I can be more general and say, you know, study God's word. And I'm like, for me, that means four years of intensive study, you know, with professional types in in an ivory tower. Right, it's not ivory tower, unfortunately. That would have been really cool, but it's not. Right. So again, prayer. Yeah. So answers to prayers come externally, externally, externally come from outside. So I think that's one of the things that prayer opens up your ears. Um, to stop listening to yourself and listen to God's word and listen, but also listen to the way that God uh, works through those around you in their vocation. So husband or wife, brother, sister, friend, neighbor, pastor, um, co-worker. I mean, don't, don't presume that God can't work through others. That's how he always, he always works through others actually to benefit you. You know, the water is not inside of you that's in your baptism. It's put upon you. The bread and wine, the body and blood of Christ comes from outside of you into you, right? The word of God is spoken to you and into your ears. 
Yeah, so um, I think that's important when it comes to prayer and the answer. Did you ever have that question? Like, does God answer prayers? I don't know. I think people do generally. Um, And that also then means, um, oh, there's another aspect of this. The times that you ought to pray are not only in times of need, obvious desperate need, you know? Um, I would encourage you, I think I've told you this in a number of ways, to pray, um, as Paul said in Philippians, without ceasing, um, that your life be, be a life of prayer. Not necessarily always. You know, I don't know how you do it. You know it's right over left, by the way. There are rules in some churches. Right over left. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, maybe if you're left-handed, I don't know. If you fold your hands, you go the other way. But if you, if you, anyway, I don't know. Because see, that makes the sign of a cross with your thumbs. But I don't know. I don't know. But you don't have to walk about praying like this. But but prayer prayer could work out this way. Is um, uh, you're faced with a decision at work, and uh, you're not sure, and you say, "Well, what has God said about such things?" Like, you know, should I uh, take out the garbage for my boss, or should I just let the, or do I just take it out now, or should I just leave it and let somebody else pick up after me? Well, I mean, does God have a word to say about that? About being like steward of His creation, caring for all things, um, respecting your your neighbor's time and um, whatnot, or actually just caring for oneself. Being responsible for oneself. Yeah, he does actually. And so then that's actually kind of prayer. Well, maybe you can think of a particular scripture that applies, maybe not. Um, but you know what's right and good. And in that moment you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my mind, which actually is God changing your mind <laughs> to behave differently in that moment. Right? And that's actually prayer then. It was very short. It may have, you may have thought, oh, it's just me wrestling with what I should do. Yeah. But yeah, but it's God's voice working through, hopefully, through what you've heard. And what you've read, yeah, and the spirit inspires you there. So, yeah, so let um, how, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Paul says through prayer and supplications and intercession. Why? So why study God's word? Why pray it? It's not always going to be have that immediate impact. Like, wow, that's really powerful scripture. It gets me thinking about. I mean, look at like the verse for this week on the front side of the blue sheet. We do not, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. So this is Paul talking in the church of Corinth, saying, look, I don't talk about myself. I, I, everything I speak is of Christ Jesus the Lord, and that I'm just his servant. Right? For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, my job is to shine a light in the darkness of your heart as he's done the same for me because when he says our hearts he's referring to our, the preachers mm-hmm. to Paul and his fellow um, preachers to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God how? in the face of Jesus Christ namely in his cross where we see his face shining for us All right? so this is the whole point All right, now you say well that, that's fine but it doesn't really apply to me because I'm not a preacher now me I read it and I'm like oh Wow, that says a lot about like what my job is—is is to not to not be all doom and gloom, but actually to shine the light of Christ in people's lives. Right? And I mean, then I might think a little bit more about it. You, on the other hand, just say, 
you just read it and you're like, okay, that's fine. But it's in your head. It's gone into your ears or through your eyes into your brain, into your heart, right? Through your eyes, you read it. And you probably kind of spoke it. Oh, by the way, I do say, say aloud. I don't know if you see that at the top. Pray and confess aloud. So say it out loud so that it does go into your ears, not just your eyes, okay? Um, it does seem to help actually to read it out loud. People know it. Elementary ed. This is true. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, and then maybe, maybe you end up in a situation where you're listening to a, a preacher, maybe even at the chapel at Mequon, and you're like, hmm, was that really the light of Jesus shining in my heart? Or was that somebody else's word that I was hearing? You know, and pastors have off days and you can be very forgiving for that. Um, you can also hold them to account and say, that was kind of, I'm not so sure that sermon was quite what I needed today. Can you explain it to me again? Try to be charitable with it. You know, don't say, that was a horrible sermon, pastor. He's not going to respond well to it. You didn't do so hot. Uh, actually say, um, can you help me understand a little bit more of what you're saying? You know, what did that, can you help me understand the connection between what you said and the text that you said you were going to talk about? And just let give him an opportunity. He might actually just say it better to you personally than he did in the sermon. That happens to me all the time. People say, I'm not so sure I understood. I'm like, okay, good. Um, let me try to apply it to you personally. And then, like, oh, now it clicks. It wasn't that the idea was wrong. It was just, it wasn't, it just didn't resonate with you. Sometimes the other way around, I just didn't communicate it very well. Um, so I get that out of this text. Now, you may not get that in this text. <laughs> See, so the point is, is to, to simply listen and then let, let um, God's Holy Spirit work it uh, as he will. Uh, then, like I said, praying the catechism, this is the whole point of you getting this hymn guide for us. Thank you. Is that here, um, we have you pray, what is the office of the keys, which we talked about when we were talking about absolution. That the, the church has a special authority not only to loose the sins of those who confess, but also to bind the sins of those who refuse to confess, who are unrepentant, as long as they do not repent. Thankfully, this doesn't happen very often. Usually, most people, you know, we point out their sins, and we say to them, um, it, okay, this doesn't usually happen in public, it's usually in private. So if somebody says to the pastor, um, they're, we're just casually talking, and they're like, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, I just borrow a little money on the side from, you know, I need to take home the paper clips or something. That, that's not, no. Uh, no, I, you know, I, yeah, it's okay. I just dip my finger in a little bit here and there. Uh, my boss doesn't seem to mind. You're like, you know that's wrong, right? Like, no, not really. He doesn't seem to care. Actually, it's still stealing. No, it isn't. Some, sometimes. No, it isn't. I just made this up. But I'm like, um, oh, this happens with children more than it happens with adults. Mm-hmm. But, but anyway, with adults, it happens sometimes. Like, no, I don't think it's wrong at all. I'm like, well, here's the thing. You don't want to give up your sins. You want to hold on to them. You don't want to call them a sin. Um, it doesn't change how God feels about it. And um, if you don't want your sins forgiven by Jesus... That has consequence for you now and especially eternally. Um, forgive or confess. Mm-hmm. I want to forgive you. That's what I'm here for. That's what Jesus sent me to do. And sometimes they, they still say no. And what ends up happening, um, I say thankfully it's not so good, is that they just stop coming to church because they don't want that sin forgiven. They want to hold on to it. And everything I say, even if I don't intend it that way, they hear as confess, repent. Even though I'm not even, that might not even be the context of the sermon at all. Every word that comes out of my mouth is reminding them of that sin. And they just desperately don't want to give it up because they want to keep doing it. That's the thing about sin is we love sin. 
We love doing it. We think we like to say it bad and evil, but we like it. Mike, Mikey likes it. So, um, so that word is hard to hear. That's the point, because it requires you to die really to yourself and your desires and your passion and the things that you love, and say, okay. Like I had a wonderful LP collection, which I wish I had kept, right? Because, of course, now it'd be, you know, five times more valuable than it was. I mean, when I say wonderful, I sold all my LPs. And this was in 2011, and I think I made 4,000 of them. That's wow. a very valuable piece. And I, I sold turned you like 3,500. I, I, I sold all of it to go to Russia with Ant, um, oh, wow. to study in Russia with our brothers and sisters there. It was a very expensive trip. Although we used, we had, obviously I got more money out of my records than I thought I would. So then we ended up going to Germany and doing some Luther stuff and Bach stuff. But, um, but anyway, uh, what was the point? I really loved my LPs. But faced with like, go to Russia, be with you know, these brothers that I know well from the seminary and encourage them, um, but also learn from them and learn, learn and you know, we still support them to this day financially in prayers. Um, versus the, the black circle, the vinyl, and that drop. I don't have anything now, but I listen to music, of course. And everything's changed with like Spotify, Apple Music, and anything I had, I have access to. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm one of those people. I'm actually, you know, I'm a actually professional in this realm, and I think it actually still sounds better. That the high quality digital sounds better than than vinyl. So, I sold turntables for a living. So. And other audio file equipment. And um, I had, I listened to, I transferred it, um, but I had, I had an LP that was one of, one of my favorites. I have the, the newest digital download version, not, not MP3, not online, but like a, I downloaded online, but it's from, direct from the band. It's higher than CD quality. Compare that to the LP. Um, and I, I had the LP, I, I transferred it actually um, in high resolution digital from the LP to higher resolution. I resolution digital, so I can kind of reference it. It's not quite the same, but it was like a. We just listened to it in the car yesterday. It was a twelve hundred dollar cartridge. It was like eight hundred dollars in cables. The turntable was like two thousand twenty two hundred dollars, and then the phono preamp, which you use to turn a phonograph signal into a higher level signal, was about. That was an add-on to a nine thousand dollar preamp. So I mean, it was like. The transfer system to transfer that LP was probably twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, so it's like buying a little car. So it was a really good turntable. It's still it's still not the same as the digital, which is really kind of sad. Yeah. It just no, nothing is as good as the original master tape. That's the point. The tape's the best, but we just don't have access to the tapes. And of course, a lot of the universal tapes burned in a fire, and they didn't tell the artist. All right, so that's pretty good with prayer. Uh, unless you have some other questions about it, but. Again, uh, use the prayer guide. I think, I mean, I'm trying to encourage you on that, but it's not complicated and it's pretty, it's online. So if you miss church on Sunday, you can just go print it off online, yeah. right? right? So don't feel like, oh, I won't get it until Wednesday. I mean, if it came on Wednesday, not Sunday. You can just, just if, make it part of your practice. And then, uh, and like, like I said at the top, use as little or as much as you can, right? So if you don't really feel like praying the psalm, that's the hardest thing to do because they're usually the longest reading. Uh, but do it anyway. Here's the other aspect of this. Why do I give you a prayer guide? Um, I give it to the whole congregation. 
So then actually you're praying the same things regardless of the fact whether you're actually here physically together or not. Right. Yeah. right? And so that can guide our conversation, our meditations. Somebody could come to Bible class on Sunday morning or you could come to this class and say, hey, I read this. We, we all read this on uh, past Wednesday about you know, the woman being healed on the Sabbath. And that seems to relate to what we're talking about, right? Yeah. So you can, it can come to bear. Or maybe not. And that's the other aspect, again, I said that. Does it even matter? Whether you're like, oh, this is really important to me and it's like going to be the best thing ever. That's not the point. It's God's word. He gives it to you. It's a gift to you. Receive it with joy. Uh, and then I'd say just let him do his thing with it. And what, the, what will that look like? Faithfulness. Trust. Yep. Yeah. Um, always, every time? Not so much. <laughs> you know, you still have your doubts and weaknesses. You heard that today. All right, in chapter 12 is on the table of duties. How are we doing with time? I want to be respectful of your time here. What is my... Okay, yeah. Uh, table duties is usually the most neglected part of the catechism, so we're going to give it about five minutes. Um, I have done in church, I've gone through the whole table of duties um, as a weekly, like, like before church, like a brief devotion, you know, or, or before the service of the sacrament. So... I mean, if you look here at this catechism, I mean, here's the table of duties on page 30, and it goes to page 40, so it's, it's a quarter of the book. Yeah, yeah. So, but what, oh, not quite a quarter. It actually only goes to page 36. So it's closer to 5%, or to 12% or something. Um, what all it is, is saying, here are all the vocations, meaning callings, that God gives, maybe not all of them, but generally speaking, broad categories, here they are, and then here's what God's word says about them, right? Mm-hmm. So here's what God's word says to bishops, pastors, and preachers, First yeah. Timothy 3, yeah. all right? So don't, don't, yeah, husband of one wife, temperate, self-control, respectful, hospitable, able to teach, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, also, First Timothy 3, verse 6, not a recent convert, okay? And then Titus 1, hold firmly to the trustworthy messages that's been taught. That is, don't preach something new. Preach what you've received. From Jesus, namely, but also through the apostles. And through, right? So this may surprise you, but most of my sermons probably are based on an idea or a thought that was from a sermon by Luther or a sermon by Martin Kemnitz or a ser- sermon by Norman Nagel or a sermon by maybe not a non-Lutheran or maybe, I mean, I'm going to preach it as a Lutheran, but you know, the nugget of the idea maybe came from somebody else. Uh, it could be from an ancient father, it could be from Leo, it could be from Gregory, it could be from uh, St. Chrysostom, or Chrysologus, or um, I'm just going to forget names, Bernard of Clairvaux, or whatever, you know, some ancient father that, that had an insight into the text that, that's faithful, that's consistent with God's word, and is a good place to start for a sermon, or at least it's the nugget, but, or the point of the sermon. Yeah, and go from there. So, I mean, that's just, it's not plagiarism, it's just being faithful to God's word and faithful to the history to what we've received. So you have preachers, and then you have hearers. What hearers owe their pastor. So your title is hearer of God's word. Mine is preacher of God's word. So as hearers, um, you won't be surprised that, that uh, the scripture says, uh, pay your pastor. <laughs> I mean, it sounds kind of brutal, honest. It's like, take care of your pastor, make sure that he's well provided for, so that uh, he can do a good job at what he, at what, what he does for you. Right? Um, also pray for them, submit to them. Uh, listen to them. Don't make their work harder than it already is. 
right? And that, for some reason, people have missed that part of the story. It's like, you know, why don't you not necessarily stop sinning, because that's, I don't expect that to happen. I don't expect that we're going to be dealing with sin and forgiveness of sin. That's what we're going to be dealing with. That's our, that, that's what my job is. But, um, you know, but why behave or act or do things in such a way to just make it even harder? You know? Yeah. It's already hard enough. But you like... Know, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe they do, but it's just... The, jo- the joy that I have is forgiving sins. I mean, that, that, that's, that's what it's all about. Giving you Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Whether it's in the sacrament, or it's reminding you of baptism, or it's just putting forgiveness on your head, you know? Yeah. Or, yeah, or it's visiting you, you know, at home or in a hospital or um, whatever it is. That's the joy. But, like, I'll give you an example. You... This hasn't happened here, but if I call like a homebound person and they're like, well, Pastor, I'm too busy for you to come and visit me. You're like, well, I thought you were stuck at home. You can't make it to church, but you're too busy to, for me to visit. I mean, maybe it's just they can't make it up the stairs. Like, well, we have a lift. Okay. Um, that happens. You know, it's like, well, that's, that's actually, like, if you, if it's happened to me in the past where I'll call somebody, call them again, call them again. After like three times, I'm discouraged enough that I'm just going to avoid calling you because it's not a joy to me at all. Because I just want to come and, and bring you um, probably Christ's body and blood specifically. And you're just casually casting aside, right? So that's, you see how that's, it's kind of a joy killer. I'm a joy bringer and then they're just kind of killing the joy. You're, uh, not killing my joy. Yeah, you're wrecking my vibe. You're uh, harshing my mellow. Don't harsh the mellow. Um, you know, I was feeling pretty good about this. I finally, maybe sometimes, yeah, I'm not really all that encouraged to come and visit you because it's not a pleasant visit for whatever reason. It's too hot or it's too smelly or whatever. Um, or it's just a hospital, you know, and it's not a pleasant place to be. Um, although they've gotten a lot better in the time I've been a pastor. Even in the last 10 years, it's a total change. But still, yeah, don't make it harder than it already is. You know, because I have my own flesh to deal with too, right? So, I mean... I tell people, just call me. Say, Pastor, I need you to visit. It's like, not, even if you don't feel like it, whatever, just, that encourage, that's encouraging to me. You know, you can encourage, that's an encouragement to me. It sounds like you're being demanding, you're not. You're encouraging me to do what I already believe I, I've been called to do. Right? So that's in the, uh, what here is other pastor, is basically to listen and to encourage them in their work and to receive it. And also to provide for them so that they can just do their job. Um, which is becoming that's becoming increasingly challenging uh, especially like in this context where we have a school which is like that's like a money pit just keep putting money into it and you're not going to see it come back out um, because that's how ministry actually works pastor at ministry is the same way you're just putting money in you don't seem to get much out when you add a school to that quadruples it right and that's not the point but that's how people think about it goods and services like I said quid pro quo we do this, and then you do this for me. And if you don't do this for me, then I'm not going to do that for you. And I'm like, that's not how it works. Just take care of your church and your pastor, whether you get anything out of it or not. Because you probably are getting things out. You just don't know what they are. You don't recognize them. It's, just, it's your doubt and unbelief getting in the way again. Yeah. Yeah, and you may not realize it until you're at the deathbed and you can sing Abide With Me with the pastor. And you're like, and then it's just beautiful, a moment. And, you know, asking, hold out that cross before my closing eyes. We sang this at the funeral yesterday. We hacked the Methodist funeral. 
by uh, I, I looked up the, the, their hymnal online and I, I found because the Wesley brothers have founded Methodism okay. Wesleyan you've heard of Wesleyan um, those two guys actually are a lot more compatible with Lutherans than the Wesleyans their followers went but Charles Charles which was the hymn writer and then his brother um, who's kind of the founder of the West of Methodism what's his brother's name Charles and somebody Wesley anyway Charles wrote these hymns really beautiful stuff and um, you know maybe not as solid as some of our big Lutheran hymns but but pretty decent especially at a funeral so we had um, Abide With Me that we actually sang Rock of Ages which is kind of a spiritual which generally I would guess that a spiritual would not be all that hot but if you look at the words it's actually pretty decent pretty good pretty good I think a Lutheran can sing it so it was good all right, so then other realms, which you don't have to talk as much about because I said five minutes and we're past that. Civil government. So actually the Bible has quite a bit to say about how you are to um, behave or, or respect the government. We pray for the government. We do that every week. You hear that, right? Uh, that's straight out of Romans 13. It's Paul, St. Paul. Submit to the governing authorities. Do what they tell you. Pray for them. Um, cover their sin. Encourage them. Um, that God and that actually God has given you government, even an evil, ter- tyrannical government. God has given you maybe for your repentance actually to stop trusting in government <laughs> so much as you get you know sent to the gulag. Um, citizens, which is under government as well, right? Of citizens, Jesus says, "Give to Caesar's what is Caesar's, and God what is God's." Caesar demands taxes; you pay taxes. To not pay taxes, actually, most people have said is most Christians have. I've said is actually going against God's own word because Jesus said so. You're like, well, wait a minute. It's not Caesar's money. It's got his face on it. It's got his face and his name on it. What do you mean it's not Caesar's money? Well, I have it. It's his money, right? What, what's, on our, what's on our currency? Does it have your face and name on it? No. Whose money is it? It is, you know, I don't know. If I have a large bill, here's a dollar. It's, uh, it's, the United States of America money. Right. It's their money. Um, they're the ones who actually certify that it's worth this amount of whatever this arbitrary number is that's on there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, there are. There's a Federal Reserve, and they certify this is the real thing. Da, da, da. But it's still, it's, this is a currency note that the government has authorized to say it means this much. Of course, then they set in, they set interest rates, and there's all sorts of other things. You know, it it's their money. If they want it back, they get to have it back. Yeah. And the whole idea that you can like, protest and throw tea into a harbor because you can't be, you shouldn't be taxed that much is actually kind of weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, they weren't getting much out of yeah. paying taxes to the king. I get that, but um, that doesn't mean it was an unjust taxation. Right. Because again, you don't put money in so that you get the goods and services out. And actually, probably most people that I know put money in so that I get goods and services out because I have a large family. And that, you know, and we, so we consequently benefit more from the government than other people. Yeah. Just, their kids are going to get more Social Security. Whatever it is, yeah. there won't be Social Security. Though. All right. So citizens, you know, obey them, listen to them. Much like the pastor, except... Um, this is two different kingdoms, right? So the pastor, I don't rule over the state. I don't tell the, I don't tell the government what to do. The government actually does things to benefit me as a pastor and as us as a congregation. They don't have to, but they do um, in this country. 
Um, if they didn't, or if they even made our life miserable, we'd be like, what of that? Um, it's just part of the deal then, right? Uh, on the other hand, so they don't tell the church what to say or do, right? Because that's not their realm. Their realm is, is things like um, protecting, um, you know, uh, punishing evildoers, protecting the innocent, um, uh, infrastructure, roads. Where we're going, Marty, there are no roads. That's back to the future, sorry. A strange reference that didn't seem to have anything to do with anything. Uh, but they, they do, um, they have a job. And namely, they're there to be God's, uh, the way that God the Father provides clothing, shoes, food, drink, household, and livelihood and income and all of that. Um, but again, if we look to that, like the condition of our government as indication of God's favor, like Mr. Trump would like us to do, um, it's very deceiving, and it may even be the opposite of what's true. So making America great again may, may actually be another way of saying let's get, let's get faithfulness and charity and love out of our country and make it all about capitalistic greed or something like that. You know, I don't think that's what he means, but I mean, for some, that might be what it is. When was it great? When we were military might, when we told other people what to do, and, and we were making bank. Well, is that really the purpose of government? Yeah. Uh, power and control. Uh, husbands, there's Bible actually says things for husbands. Okay, and you heard some of those at your wedding. Right. Mm-hmm. You did. Um, the thing about your wife being the weaker partner might offend you a little bit, um, but we know this. The Me Too movement highlighted the fact that that women are more vulnerable, generally speaking, unless you can learn some jujitsu, um, you know, to defend yourself. Because it's either run away or get them on the ground, but hand to hand. Good luck with that. I mean, it's, this is biology. It's not, unless, I guess, you're fighting against somebody transgender. Well, anyway, that's another story. Um, so the weaker partner, I mean, we don't have to like the biological differences, but it's the way God made us, right? And so that's part of the husband's job is to protect his wife. And in the ancient world, in the world, like when Peter is writing, it was even, I would say, worse or more challenging than it is today in that, uh, you know, women, they didn't work in the workplace, they, they were dependent upon their husband's providence or care. Their, their parents, until, uh, until they're married, and then their husband. Then if their husband dies, then it's kind of, it gets kind of wonky, because what is a woman gonna do if she has no stable income? She can't work in a public workplace. Um, if she has no son to care for her, because that would be, or, or her husband does, does, didn't have an unmarried brother, because that's how also what they would do. The unmarried brother would take his brother's wife as his wife to care for her. Which is a beautiful picture, right? Yeah. 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 But if there isn't one, and if there's no son also to take her into the widow into his home, then uh, it gets kind of wonky. So, so care for your wife. And uh, even if, so if you don't have a brother and you don't have a son that will care for her, at least like squirrel some money away. Yeah. You know, life insurance policy. I know it's kind of scammy, but whatever. Do it. Wives. Uh, submit because you don't want to make his job miserable either. He's trying to protect and guard and care after you. And if you try to wear the pants, it just doesn't go well. That's what the Bible says in not so many words. Uh, this is how the holy women of past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called her a master. Now, by the way, this word submission, you're young yet, it sounds kind of like pretty... Like me too. I mean, like, yeah. just do whatever he tells me. 
Um, just submit to that. That's not what it means. Uh, Do we talk about this with your marriage stuff? We might have. We might have. Uh, it's hukotaso. It's a Roman. It's actually a Roman military term. Submission. It doesn't, it doesn't come off that way in English, does it? No. Yeah. So it actually means something like, um, you know, that the Roman army would march in ranks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's yeah. ranks of ten, and they're by ten. So it's ten by ten. Yeah. I did Roman lines, but you get the idea, yeah. right? And the guy who would stand at the front, this is the guy who's called the centurion. Do you know this? Yeah. All right. So, the, so you would submit to your centurion, which means you would be ordered under him either this way or this way, right? And so where he goes, you go. But what's the, what's the advantage of this? If you're under the centurion, submission to him, who takes the brunt of any attack? Centurion. You're not lesser than him, maybe in terms of rank and in the sense of the block, but he's the one who's going to have to serve you by being the, and what happens if he goes, somebody else steps up in his place, he comes, yeah, or a centurion, that's right. It's, uh, that's in the Bible. I mean, it's in the background of Bible text. And we hear this word in Roman. And you can also take it, as a friend of mine did, in terms of not Roman, but Greek battle. Um, so the Greeks use this, it's a Greek term. The Greeks use the same, had the same idea. But if you've seen like the movie 300, you see that. Okay. You know, where, where they have the shields. And then the people behind, so the guys in the front ones are going to die. I mean, I know they put all the shields in what they call the phalanx. You know, so it's just like, you know, all the shields and they're all joined together and it's a thing, kind of like a machine. But to be submissive, it's the same word, there is actually be the guy behind the guy with the shield pushing. Now, I mean, you're in battle and your role is absolutely essential, but right. you're not going to take the brunt of the attack unless he falls and then you have to pick That's up the right. shield. Right. Yeah, be the shield. Um, and so the guys behind them are also carrying shields, maybe, actually, they were in the movie, right? Mm -hmm. And they're pushing their shields into the guy in front of them in their back. Right? And that's the wife then, is actually behind you, holding you up, mm -hmm. so that you can serve her by dying for her. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what Paul says in Ephesians 5. Yeah. You know, as Christ gave himself for her and died, and died for her. Yeah. yeah, so it's a beautiful word. It's not a bad word, submissive. It's just the way of English, da-da-da. Parents, don't, don't make your children's life miserable, but, but teach them God's word. Children, listen to your parents, because if you do, you're going to live a long time, live a lot longer. If you listen to them, if you don't, right, you know how that's true. Your, your parents do know a thing or two. They still, you know. Yeah. And, and actually, oh, by the way, honoring your parents, I know. It's fine. You can disagree with them now. Later, you'll figure out they probably were right. Yeah. Um, in their own way. They, maybe they didn't communicate very well. Whatever. Um, by the way, honoring your parents continues in death in their death, right? So we talk about like honoring the memory of like my grandfather died a week ago, you know? Well, how do you honor his memory? Remember the things he told you. Not just the things that he did, which that's what most people do. He was such a great guy. I mean, my grandfather came off sounding like, a, like he was a god in the community. Like everybody called him grandpa. The YMCA, they like named the building after him or something. I don't know. He's in every bit of the marketing PR because you know when you have a 90, 90 plus year old, you know, yeah. come and oh, work yeah. out every week. Right. You know, even though it wasn't always easy. He and Grandma too. Um, no, actually, by remembering the things he told you, or even the example that he gave to you, that's how you honor him 
And we honor people, we honor our fathers and mothers in the faith, even in the church, by actually praying the things that they prayed, or singing the hymns that they gave us, or um, following an order of service that they, we've received. We don't do it slavishly, because like you say, they're not always right. Or maybe things need a little bit of a, you were close, mom and dad, but you know, for me, this is what's going to be a little bit better. But you don't like just throw it all out and say everything I received from my parents was bunk, and I'm just going to start over. Because that's, that's not wise, and uh, it probably isn't going to go well for you. And you probably won't live long. And that's a recipe actually to destroy a church, by the way, too, is to throw out everything that's there you know, and just start all over. Yeah, yeah, because it's dishonorable, actually. Um, workers, um, notice that the texts are more, more about being slaves, but slaves yeah. and workery are about the same thing. Yeah. And then employers, actually, there's instructions from Paul in the same text from Ephesians on how to respect those who are under you, working under you. Um, youth, listen to the old people. <laughs> Don't presume to be smarter. I know it's hard, it's hard. Um, that's why I say it like I encourage Marlene, right? Because I am thankful for what all the work she did. I don't know if she always hears that, yeah. right? And she needs to know that. That, um, yes, I'm not that young anymore. I guess I'm middle-aged, actually. But um, I don't think of myself that way. Young at heart, as they say. But, um, um, but no, I'm truly thankful for that. And there's Because and, there's great wisdom. And maybe she didn't even know it at the time. It's just what she received. But I can see the fruits of it, so I can actually say, "Here's how that was an influence. How that influence has been so positive." And so youth need to look for that and actually watch out for that and, and honor it by, by continuing it. Uh, widows. Um, this is again a, a, an instruction from Paul about widows not going into disreputable uh, lines of work because that's all they can do without a husband. Um, but actually encouraging widows in his world. Um, the place where widows would be received and, uh, and would be cared for if they had no family was in the church. So I mentioned uh, Wilhelm Leia at the beginning. It was one of the things Leia did is he started, um, it, it looked kind of like a convent, but it was actually, um, it was like a house for deaconesses. So these were women who were usually widowed, um, who then had no, no other means to provide for themselves, and the church took them in and actually provided a home for them to live and then they would serve the church. So they'd be the ones, the janitors, they'd be the ones making the, the wine or the communion, the hosts, in Northern Dalazan anyway. They'd be the one, they'd visit sick, they would help instruct children, you know. Um, and so that then they'd be provided for. It's a wonderful vision. I haven't seen anybody um, pull it off yet in the States. Um, we, we do have things people call deaconesses that are trained as deaconesses. Concordia Chicago and Fort Wayne and St. Louis Seminary have programs. But um, it's very challenging because we don't really, often they marry, so that changes kind of the nature of it. If they marry a pastor, then it's like a husband and wife pastor team, which is kind of weird. They don't really go for that. Um, but it's also just like, they, it's, the burden on them right now is to teach people their submissive authority within the church, that the pastor is the pastor. And I'm here to assist the pastor in things that maybe the pastor can't do. You know, um, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be terribly hot at like ministering to a woman in menopause. <laughs> I just wouldn't know what to say. You know, I, I'm sure I will have to figure that out as a husband. Not that far out, but um, yeah. And then everyone, 
Love your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. Request prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for everyone. Right? So you can use these table of duties in your daily prayer. So if you don't, you don't have something to pray for, you can say, well, maybe I'll pray through my vocations as a hearer of God's word. You know, where have I fallen short? Uh, how can I do better on that? What would the Lord have me do? Um, and then ask for that because he gave you that, you know, as a gift. When he tells you, um, love your neighbor, that's not, we, how do we hear that? We hear that as a command, thou shalt. And then we only hear it that way because we don't want to do it. But what he's actually saying to us is, you'll love your neighbor. You'll have no other gods. You'll pray in my name. You're like, really? I'm like, yep. You're like, I don't want to. You're like, that's okay. You will. <laughs> yeah, I just go, I mean, you know, let God and let live or something. I don't know. That sounds boring. That's not even true. But uh, does that make sense, though? The, the, again, the problem here isn't that God isn't powerful and active and that his word doesn't do what it says. It absolutely does. The problem is, is that we just, we just get in the way. You know, we just get in the way. And so I would say probably, like we said in the sermon, you know, daily dying and rising. I mean, that's what, that's what living in your baptism is all about, is actually just saying, you know what? Lord, you got this. Not my life, not my will, not my way. Your life, your will, your way for me. Um, you know, give me direction. Let, you know, work through family, friends, and whatever to encourage me in the way I ought to go, right? But um, I'm just going to, I'm going to go where this takes me. You know, and in the moment, it sounds horrible because you're like, I'm going to have to give up this congregation because it's, it's clear a lot of people are telling me this is not going to be good for me to stay here um, for whatever reason, money mostly, and, um, you know, that I wasn't able to provide for my family, that kind of thing. And uh, it's hard to hear that because it sounds like failure. Um, but in the end, he used it to bring you, me to you, which hopefully you will say is a blessing. Then. Even though I thought in the moment it was terrible, and I had to move twice in four months, and you know this really, really wasn't all that much fun. My knee still busted from it. But, uh, but now, in hindsight, you can look back and say, okay, now I know why. That, I mean, those prayers were terrible and they were hard, um, and the actions I took as a result too were, you know, devastating to my ego and you know to my own self-worth and all that kind of stuff. Um, but in hindsight, I can say, um, I'm, I know I'm a better pastor as a result. Because um, I'm not quite, I'm, I'm actually more aggressive, but I'm less passive aggressive, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So instead of like, you should do this and you should do that, I just say, um, do this. Which actually, instead of just being like, kind of beating you up the side and just slapping in your face instead. Like, oh, okay, I got it, Pastor. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's a Midwest problem. The whole but like. I mean, it, I mean, it helped us out because, you know, if we didn't have a pastor. Yeah, then what are you going to do? What are we going to do for our marriage? All right, you figure you something out. You get some junk. Ah, whatever. You get some Joe Schmo, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, it's okay. You don't want Joe Schmo? All right, good. So, actually. That's why we kind of waited. Well, and look, it's not a cult of personality. So the church isn't about me, it's about Jesus, no. right? But, it, but it's true that Jesus has chosen to work through people and personalities, and, you know? And, and that also means that not every congregation is right for everybody. Not every pastor is right for everybody. I mean, I can try to be everything to all people, as, as Paul would instruct me to do. Um, but it, frankly, it just doesn't work, you know? Because I'm going to talk about, I'm going to quote Back to the Future, and you're going to be like, or 
Weird Al, and you're gonna be like, who's Weird Al? You should look up Weird Al. I think he's gonna have a show in Milwaukee here on the tour, and anyway, coming up. Um, you know Weird Al? I know Weird Al. Yeah. yeah. Known for parody, singing parodies. Do you know Dr. Demento? No, you don't. Um, but like comedy, mu- musical comedy. So they're comedic songs. Okay, yeah, you should, yeah, go look it up. So he does satire, you know. He'll, so he'll do some songs that are like, it's the same music but with different words. So I mentioned Rico Suave is the original, and then he does Taco Grande, right? So he would. Yeah, okay, very good. Um, sometimes it's satire, so it's like a song in the style of somebody else, but it's totally different. And so that's an original song, but it reminds you of somebody else's song. Sometimes it doesn't remind you of anybody else's music. Uh, he's got really gifted musicians with him that can like copycat anything and do it live. It's really amazing what he's been able to do. And of course, uh, it's the 30th anniversary of uh, UHF, his film, which you haven't seen. But you see, it's really funny. It was the breakout film for, uh, I forget his name, the actor who later played Kramer on Seinfeld. Tall guy. Yeah, he was, his breakout was in UHF. He's the plumber on UHF. He's going to, he's going to drink from the fire. It's a children's show. It's really funny. Okay. All right. Culture. Culture. I give you obscure, rare, hard to find BBC comedy than it would be, you know, British com- commentary. That'd be it. All right, let's close with prayer. Yeah. Oh Lord, we pray that your grace may always go before and follow after us, that we may continually be given to all good works through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.